Hey listener, welcome to the Comic Relief Podcast. Hope you survived the experience. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your hosts, Uncanny Thomas Logue and Mighty Michael Moran. Hey everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Comic Relief Podcast. I am your host, the master of mysticism, Michael Moreno. And with me as always is my co-host, the Sausage Supreme, Thomas Logue. How are you doing today, buddy? I am doing really good. Thank you for coming in and checking us out with another new episode, folks. Another new episode, as opposed to another old episode. This one's going to be better than the last one, trust us. Exactly. I've been messing around with that live thing on Facebook. Oh, cool. You're going to do that? Are you going to be going live as a Comic Relief Podcast? Yeah, going live as a Comic Relief Podcast. So before we continue, I just realized something. We should probably mention that this podcast will be filled with spoilers. Plenty of spoilers. If you have not seen Doctor Strange, what are you doing? Put us on pause. Go watch the movie. Come back. Let's finish listening to the podcast and uh, join us in the discussion here and online. All right. So today we're talking uh, Doctor Strange, another huge blockbuster from uh, the folks over at Marvel. Yes. And uh, let me tell you, man, this movie did not disappoint. Not did at all. Not disappoint. Another fantastic movie from Marvel Studios. Um, I was very much looking forward to this movie, and I came in and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing not to like about this movie. Typical of Marvel, they did everything with setting up a good origin. Yeah, that, that was a thing, too, is the, the origin story. Um, not many people are familiar with Doctor Strange. I mean, he's not a, a super popular character. I was afraid that they might let the origin story drag a little too long and then get into the cool mysticism or the you know the sorcery and stuff at the at you know the at the, towards, towards, towards the end of the video uh, the movie and that wasn't the case at all now they set him up as the egotistical jerk fairly quickly they have the accident happen they have him struggling to learn magic and then they have magic happen and they do it perfectly paced and the cast was Perfect. Yes. So let's talk about Doctor Strange a little bit. Doctor Stephen Vincent Strange is a hero that was created by Mr. Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko was the artist. Stanley was the first writer of Doctor Strange. Um, and the origin, the original story in the movie basically stuck to the original story from the comics. He's a very cocky, very arrogant neurosurgeon. He's one of the, the, the best neurosurgeons in the world, if not the best neurosurgeon in the world. And he has a terrible accident. He has a terrible accident, breaks his hands. He can no longer be a neurosurgeon. So he sort of exhausts all the, you know, treatments and medications and, and surgeries that you could possibly, all the Western medicine is exhausted. Uh, he finally turns to Eastern medicine. What I really like is, I mean, the movie kind of really pushed it where, I mean, like his hands were completely broken up. Like cool, it, yeah. it, it's pretty bad when they show all the wires in his hand and all that stuff. It really mangled him up, where he had really his mangled hands his hand. were shaky. And yeah, anytime he his hands were um, sort of framed, they would go out of their way to show you the scars and the shakiness of his hand. And they really sold that he was he was broken. Like when they had the wires in it, you could see how swollen each of his fingers were. I mean, they oh, look yeah. like 
sausages. And in looking for uh, a, a cure or some sort of a treatment, he uh, finds the Ancient One. And in the comics, the Ancient One was a Tibetan monk. Uh, but in the movie, because of some sort of political geo concerns with showing the movie in China, they couldn't make the Ancient One a monk. So instead, they made the Ancient One a, uh, a Celtic woman, played by Tilda Swinton. She does a really good job of being that really hunting kind of woman her her appearance and the way she talks i mean that's and that's in every movie she just has that weird unusual appearance and voice that makes you buy the fact that yeah this is like a weird unusual woman who's done some weird unusual stuff you know, honestly, I didn't know what to expect uh, when they said that uh, Tilda would be playing the ancient one and it wasn't going to be an, you know, uh, old Tibetan monk. It was going to be a Celtic woman. I didn't feel either way towards it. I understood the reason for the change and that was fine. But I thought uh, Tilda Swinton did a great job of playing, like you meant, like you said, a sort of someone that you can't really put your finger on. They almost feel a little bit alien. Yes. She did feel that way. So Doctor Strange goes into in this in this case he goes out into um, India instead of Tibet. Uh, am I remembering that correctly? I think that was it, right? So regardless, he goes he goes out. He uh, begins to train in the uh, in the mystical arts, and uh, because he is a genius level human, I mean he was the uh, you know the greatest neurosurgeon. Um, he picks up on the mysticism and spellcasting fairly quickly after it took some convincing though because he was so certain that he couldn't do it because his fingers were messed up and she brings that other guy who has way more of a handicap than well i could probably spoil it we already mentioned spoilers but way more of a handicap than uh he does basically he has no hand and he's still able to open the doorway Yes, yes. The first scenes where he's introduced to the world of mysticism and a world beyond ours and the different dimensions is probably one of the most uh, impressive scenes that I've seen in of all the Marvel cinematic movies. Oh, uh, you mean like when he goes to um, like the uh, the mystic worlds and stuff like that with all the unusual, all the shape. different dimensions, the yeah. acid trip. Basically, it's like the acid trip scene, and that's that's really what it was. On one of the scenes, some of the viewers caught that he actually goes through the sub atomic uh, dimension. That was a dimension that we saw during Ant-Man when he had to go subatomic. Yeah, absolutely. Possibly there might be ties in with the uh, later Ant-Man movies. We've definitely seen Doctor Strange setting up uh, his ties into some of the other franchises, so that Ant-Man might be in there as well. Definitely setting up the tie-ins because of the one of the stingers at the end of the movie. Oh, great stinger. Yeah. So you already know that he's going to be incorporated into the other movies. I can't stress enough how much you need to see this movie. If you have not, uh, we're just going to spoil the heck out of it. But the the stinger that Thomas is talking about is the first post-credit scene. Um, So we all know that the uh, Hulk and and uh, Thor are going to be in the buddy buddy. So Thor Ragnarok is essentially going to be a buddy buddy movie with right. uh, between Thor and the Hulk. Uh, what we get the, the big surprise and one of my favorite things about this movie is that uh, we find out that Doctor Strange is going to be in that movie as well. It's such a great setup on that stinger as well. The Doctor Strange 
in Thor has me happy. Yes, very, very, very much so. Very much so. The special effects in this movie were were downright amazing. I mean, they should honestly be nominated for whatever it is that movies. What is it? The Oscars? Yes. Right. Emmys or TV? The Oscars or the movies? At least for special effects, because this movie was this was Inception on steroids. This was awesomeness. So as well as the, um, the special effects and everything, especially with the big big scenes, uh, uh, Doctor Strange's Cloak of Levitation, I thought was really cool and really well done. What I really liked is, like you said uh, at work, it was kind of like the his symbol, right? Like Captain America has a shield, Thor has his hammer. That cloak was Doctor Strange's weapon. And I, I never really considered that. I never really considered that that was his mask, his look, right? And it was done in such a subtle uh, way that subtle. it was... Well, it was in that it wasn't like forced. It wasn't a big red, white, and blue shield that says, hey, look at my shield. I, I don't know. I just thought it was it was very cool, and it was something that I wasn't necessarily expecting the cloak to play such a big role, but it did, and right. it was perfect. Yeah, it even had its own like personality, kind of like what you're saying, because there's that scene where he goes to reach for those axes, and the cloak yeah. pulls at him and stops him, and he keeps like yeah. struggling to try to get to it, and the cloak pulls him towards that other like contraption thing. That was hilarious. You know, someone brought this up, and I thought it was pretty interesting the cloak was very much like the magic carpet from aladdin yes and yes, i thought that is. was a very cool comparison and you know as much as the cloak was protecting uh, dr strange it was sort of his his sidekick it was also it was like very sincere and very careful like when, when it tried to wipe the blood from his uh his cheek and dr strange started batted it away I, it was Stop cute it. It was yeah. cute. It was like pet. Acting in this movie was superb. We had Rachel McAdams as uh, Christine Palmer. Uh, she was involved in another great scene where Doctor Strange is suffering from a stab wound from a fight, and he opens a portal into the hospital. Christina, Doctor Palmer, is trying to uh, operate and revive him, and uh, Doctor Strange is sort of in the you know in the in, in the ghost spirit world. The and is it the astral plane that that he? Yes. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? stole the astral plane that was a uh, you know that was professor x's thing doctor strange is fighting on the astral plane with uh, one of the henchmen the special effects were very well done and that scene was very well put together it was very impressive i, I did enjoy that quite a bit Th that whole scene where he's fighting the whole scene in that hospital from like him like popping up in the astral plane to help her and then the fight that takes place with the zealot i loved it dude i loved it where he's like crank it up and she's like but you've got a heartbeat and he's like, I know, crank it up. Boom! And like, I love how while they're fighting, stuff's just moving in the hospital room. Marvel has been criticized for for killing or uh, I should say uh, killing characters but not making it permanent. In this movie, we do have a death scene of the ancient one that I thought was uh, surprisingly uh, brutal. This by far is probably the bloodiest Marvel movie to date. Which I, I was not expecting. I was not expecting this movie to be so gory. It was. They zoom in and they're cutting people open and blood splurting around, people falling from depths yeah. and splitting. 
splatting on the sidewalk. They could have done these scenes without showing as much blood as they did, but they they chose to. And it's not that it's not needed. It's more realistic, I think, which is yeah. ironic because the movie is about like mysticism. It took me by surprise a few times, like you said, like the ancient one's death. I had a feeling it was coming because as I leaned over and told Damien, I said, something's going to happen to her because she's a Sorcerer Supreme and that's actually Doctor Strange's title. And then like two seconds later, thunk, she gets stabbed, right? And I'm like, <laughs> accidentally kind of spoiled that for you a little too soon. <laughs> you, you didn't say spoiler alert before? No, I did not say spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Something's going to happen to her like right now. <laughs> her brutal death is is exactly that. I mean, it's it's brutal. Such a cool effect where, you know, she's dying in the hospital and Doctor Strange jumps in the astral plane. It was like, you have to come back to your body. And she's like, yeah, you know what? I've done this long enough. It's time for me to go. And she's slowed everything down to like a millionth of a second. And it was really cool because she said with all her uh, with all her powers of, of sorcery and perception and, and being able to see forward in time, back in time, whatever, she said that she had never been able to see past that past point that they were currently in. So that's how she knew this was going to be where she dies. That was a very cool touch. Yes. Let's talk villains. Uh, before we we jump into the zealots. Let's talk about Dormammu. So Dormammu is a warlord from the dark dimension. And when they first introduced Dormammu, I I, I was wondering how they were going to approach the final battle. Would they do it in this movie? Because because in this and this is an original story. Uh, Doctor Strange is is very green. He's very young to the sorcery game, uh, very new. So how would he just jump in and defeat a a warlord from an alternate dimension. Do you remember how he handled it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt like I was there over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange uses the Eye of Agamotto and puts himself in a time loop. Anytime he is killed... The Eye of Agamotto resets the time and he comes right back. So this idea that Doctor Strange has about this time loop is not an idea that he actually comes up with, right? Because he messes around with the Eye of Agamotto and he finds the book that Caecilius, yeah, when he goes and finds that book where he tore those pages out for the ritual, he uses the eye, right? Starts kind of going backwards in time to see what the pages said. Remember, it's Wong and Morton Mordo, come in yeah. and they're like, what are you doing? Do you realize you could have got stuck in time going backwards, repeating the same thing over and over again? So they allude to it right there. And he uses that trick of basically doing that loop of, you know what? Every time you kill me, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come and say, I have a proposition for you. <laughs> I thought that was a great, great way to uh, to defeat the big bad in the movie. Yes. They did everything very well in this movie. There's a scene when Doctor Strange is first learning from the Ancient One where she is trying to explain to him how everything works. And he says, you know what? We're just all grains of sand in this uncaring world, blah, 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 blah. And then later on when he's fighting um, Cassilius, Cassilius uses that same quote against him. Yeah. He says, I can't believe you would believe the Ancient One. You should know that we're nothing but grains of sand in this careless world. And says word for word what Doctor Strange said. And he's like, I'm headed down the wrong path. You know what I mean? So they yeah. did so much yeah. where they kept alluding to stuff that would show up in the movie later. Yeah, they did a really good job of bouncing back and forth and tying and interweaving the story. I mean, the story was just as good as the special effects. The foreshadowing was great. Benedict Cumberbatch is 
he's a great actor, man. I, I can't stress that enough. The entire movie, I was not thinking of Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, Sherlock Holmes or any of his other characters. He was uh, Doctor Strange. He had me convinced. He is an amazing actor. Is The dude's full-on British, but he never has that accent in the movie. Even when he um, gets angry at Rachel McAdams' character, uh, Christine Palmer, and he's yelling uh-huh. at her after the accident, you know, the whole time, whatever emotion he was conveying, he sounded American. I don't know where to put this movie. I got to stop trying to put these uh, Marvel movies in any... Yeah, I got to stop trying to rank them because they're all just crowded at number one. I want to talk about Mordo. I love his... I guess you could say his fall, right? Because he is this hero, he's valiant, and then he learns the Ancient One's secret about how she has lived for so long. That at the end, when Doctor Strange is forced to bend time and make everything go backwards to save the London Sanctum Centaurum, Mordo is like, okay, that's great. You saved everyone, but you've done exactly what we're not supposed to do. I can't be a part of you anymore. And you think, oh, okay, well, that's it. And then you get that little stinger where he shows up and goes after the one guy who was paralyzed and used magic to basically walk in yeah. and he kills him. Uh, his reasoning, his rationale makes sense to me. To me, he didn't just like, I'm just going to be evil. You know, he was like, all these people I've spent my life following, you know, risking my life, they've lied to me. You know, yeah. they, they've been corrupted. They've turned to the dark magic. So now what I have to do is go around and get rid of every sorcerer because they're bound to fall so freaking good. And then the little, uh, the little nod, the little nudge that um, you may or may not have caught when Doctor Strange comes in uh, at first uh, to the um, thing with the Ancient One and all that stuff, she excuses a couple of the people, including a guy named Daniel Drum. Do you know who he is? Don't know who Daniel Drum is. Daniel Drum is the brother of... Let's see how I can say this. Oh, brother voodoo. Yes, he is the brother. Oh, they may do nothing. He may be just like that one little. Here's a little nudge, a nod, but we're not going to do anything with it. But I thought that was cool. Yeah, that they. Oh, that's they pretty cool touch. It just come up with a bunch of random characters. They said, let's pool some of those Marvel characters into this movie. Maybe not do anything with them. Just call them by name and just that's it. Kind of like um, Patsy Walker in Jessica Jones. Yeah. Yes. You got anything else for us for Doctor Strange? I mean, I have a whole. Sp- about that I wrote up about like Doctor Strange's comic book history. So, as you said, Steve Ditko was the one who created Doctor Strange. Uh, He had originally brought uh, Stanley a five-page pencil story with, you know, like a script and an idea for a character. The reason that Doctor Strange has the name Doctor Strange is because his first appearance was in Strange Tales number 110 back in 1963. So that's why he has the last name of Strange. They're like, I don't know what to call him. He's going to be in Strange Tales. Let's call him Mr. Strange. And then Stanley was like, well, Mr. Strange sounds too much like Mr. Fan fantastic why don't we call him dr strange that that was uh that was a cool little interaction too with uh dr strange and oh the caselius where he was sort of introducing himself and he was like uh yes. mr it's like it's doctor mr doctor dr strange. strange and he's like yeah a little bit yeah you are yes <laughs> it could be yeah. there was a lot of good humor like that uh throughout the movie yeah. the stanley cameo when he slammed oh. into the bus. What is it that Stanley's reading? I couldn't tell. Because he's the laughing, going, that's hilarious. The Doors of Perception. Oh, uh, okay. Back in 1960, they were talking about one of the reasons that Doctor Strange had become kind of popular in the 60s is because the alternate realities that Steve yeah, Ditko 
drew were, you know, kind of like these weird psychedelic things. And in the 60s, college students were freshly open to psychedelic experiences because of the yeah. drugs back then. Well, another little bit of trivia, uh, Jim Morrison named The Doors after the book, The Doors of Perception. We're dropping all kinds of knowledge here. <laughs> <laughs> so then Dr. Strange would go on to become one of the founding members of the non-team team book known as The Defenders in 1971. Defenders. Yeah. Along with the Hulk, Silver Surfer, and Namor. They would go on to recruit other members such as Valkyrie, Hellcat, Gargoyle, among others, but Doctor Strange remained one of the consistent members, whereas the Hulk, Silver Surfer, and Namor were kind of in and out. The team broke up in issue 120 because there was a prophecy that said, hey, if the four of you continue to team up and help save the world, you're going to basically jeopardize the world. So they broke up and then a new team formed called the New Defenders. In 2002, the four of them got back together and there was a limited series, six issues called The Order, which I highly recommend. Essentially, they become cursed to respond to any crisis. So they constantly get pulled away from whatever they're doing, doesn't matter what they're doing, and they finally get sick of it. And they're like, you know what? If we're going to be forced to take care of every single crisis, let's just take over the world. And that's what they do. And oh, wow. Good. Oh, it's so good. So I highly recommend The Order if you ever get a chance to read it. Okay. Strange would go on to eventually appear in the first three issues of the Marvel feature. That's when in issue 8 through 10 he's forced to shut down the Ancient One's mind and that's when he adopts the title of Sorcerer Supreme. In the 80s, Doctor Strange was involved in a story um, when his series came to an end basically that all the spells that he had made to basically prevent vampires and demons and all that stuff basically gets shattered. In the 90s, he became a part of the Midnight Suns. I don't know if you ever yeah. read any of oh, Ghost Rider Dude, it's a bit, heck yeah. It's Morbid Starkhold Night Stalkers. Then, which I've written a blog about, he went on to form the Secret Defenders. I would not recommend it for anyone. There was no consistency in the book at all. <laughs> From the 90s, I remember loving this book. And that's why I do that thing every so often where I go back and read these old comics that I love so much. And then I write a blog about it. And so far, most of the old comics that I loved back in the day don't turn out so well. <laughs> they do not hold the test of time. And then in the early 2000s, Doctor Strange became the token background character. He appeared all the time as a guest character in basically every single book until 2010 through 2013 when he became a regular member of the New Avengers. And then Doctor Strange currently has a new series out, I think, by Jason Aaron. Yeah, Doctor Strange has always been, in my eyes, a character that other characters would consult with. What's really cool about Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they're taking characters like these and bring them, bringing them out to the forefront. Yeah, I agree. So that's Doctor Strange. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. I think you will enjoy it. I know you will enjoy it. There's no thinking about it. I know you will enjoy it. All right, man. So before we jump into the next round of uh, our favorite X's, we heard some some buzzings oh, on, the, yes. on the internet that Fox Studios might be rebooting the X-Men franchise yet again. Yet again. We're officially considering the Days of Future Past a soft reboot. Is that the is that what we, the conclusion that we came to? The only and, conclusion I remember coming up with during our Age of Apocalypse podcast is that the X-Men timeline is really difficult to follow. Let's just say it's a mess. <laughs> yes. And they're thinking about scrapping it and doing it all over, which uh, on the surface, I don't know how I feel about that. See, I am of the mind that it's okay. How that so? Hopefully, what they see is that Disney and Marvel Studios have put together a streamlined movie of setting things up and allowing a story to slowly unfold. 
So what okay. I hope, what I hope Fox is doing is saying, hey, you know what? We've done nine movies now, whatever. What they will do is essentially scrap the X-Men movies. And since Deadpool only refer, you know, references Colossus and um, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, they'll use that because Deadpool was so successful. It's easy to integrate anything that they reboot as tying into that Deadpool movie. Because yeah. we haven't seen any of the other X-Men. They're going to probably keep the Deadpool movie because so, that's successful. They're like, this is our piece of pie that we're going to base everything else off of. That so is exactly what they should do. Let's hope Fox is listening. Yeah. Now, now let's keep in mind, as a disclaimer, we do have to say that these are all rumors. Uh, nothing has been announced. Yeah. Give us a consistent movie. Look at the older like 70s and 80s comics and pull a story. Base it off that because that's what most people love about the x-men was that era of the x-men you know what would be a really really good movie i think what's that giant size x-men number one. Oh, dude they have to go save perhaps whatever original x-men and they make pull a few new x-men nightcrawler freaking wolverine colossus storm banshee maybe even thunderbird as the token guy who has to die and you know really make everything serious they have to go to Kerkora and basically save the x-men or something like that i could even see it like it just opens up where like you see like a storm and like a plane's going down and you see scott and gene and whoever else keep flashing the like lightning and thunder and they're like what's happening i don't know plane lost control and then oh there's an island let's try to land on it and then just x-men and then just started off with professor x recruiting some new people we don't even know what happened to scott and gene and them that but that's how the movie starts is their plane is just going down dude dude i like that idea i like that idea quite a bit honestly dude that is genius that is how you reboot the franchise you reboot the franchise by bringing in the new recruits hinting that the original X-Men are captured. Maybe you finally see the original X-Men at the end of the movie. And then the, and then from then on, you branch on. You have movies with the original X-Men. You have movies with the new X-Men. You have movies with... Dude, that's brilliant. That That's a nice little sort of like, all right, we're skipping the original story. We're jumping right into the meat and potatoes. I think we need to go work for Fox. Yeah. I, and we I keep I, saying that. <laughs> I don't think they're listening to our podcast. I need to tag no, them more frequently. It, yeah. <laughs> Dude, look, we got, we got all your ideas right here. Now you've got my hopes up for this stupid rumor. That actually segues right into our list of our favorite X's. Because the first set that we're going to talk about, which we'll probably skim through really, really fast, is the retconned giant size X-Men team. Petra, Sway, Darwin, and Vulcan. And then Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Banshee, Storm, Sunfire, Crisis. Right, after that, yeah. So if you if you joined us on our last podcast, we decided to do a list of our favorite X-Men characters and rank them by uh, costume, powers, and then give them an overall score. Uh, the last issue, we went, we discussed Professor X, Cyclops, essentially the original X-Men, right? Angel, yep. Beast, Marvel Girl, Mimic, Changeling, uh, Polaris, and Havoc. This round, we have a whole new set of characters uh, that are sort of based on the giant-sized X-Men number one. The way we have the list broken down is how they chronologically appear in the X-Men, not how they actually appear published history-wise. So, for example, the next batch we're going to talk about is what I call the retcon giant-size X-Men. 
This was a team that basically, to explain Vulcan's origin, they said, hey, you know what? Instead of the original X-Men being captured, Professor X getting Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Banshee, Storm, Sunfire, Colossus, and Thunderbird, and Cyclops to go back and rescue the original X-Men. That's not what actually happened. What actually happened is Professor X got Petra, Sway, Darwin, and Vulcan, and Vulcan happens to be the brother of both Scott and Alex, which is Cyclops and Havoc, sends them in to go get the original X-Men. The team basically gets killed, as far as everyone knows. So then they go back now, and this is when they go back and get Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Banshee, Storm. Yeah. So Professor X is just throwing X-Men at this island to die. If Teen- you go, teenagers. If you go with this origin story, which... Teenagers. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, the story go was ahead. called Deadly Genesis, and it was written by uh, Ed Brubacher, which is uh, uh, incredible because Ed Brubacher is a, a darn good <laughs> writer. You, you don't like Ed Brubacher? <laughs> No, I'm sorry. I just coughed at that time. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. So <laughs> go ahead and start with uh, Petra. I, I'm just going to go one, one, and one. So one, one for one costume, one. one for powers, overall one. So she, she, She's basically an earth manipulator. She can move one, one, one for me as well. There we go. And then we have Sway, who is next, which I gave one, one, and one. Yeah, Sway is a time manipulator, uh, retrocognitive. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what uh, exactly that means. Uh, I gave her a one-one-one as well. All right, so this is where we're gonna split a little bit, right? Yes. And that's with Darwin. And so I gave Darwin costume as a three. It's nothing special. His powers are five. He can adapt to whatever is threatening him. And then I gave him an overall of three. And now the only reason he has any points at all, as opposed to Sway and Petra, is because he was a major character in um, Peter David's, not most recent, but the one before that, the one that ran like 200 issues or something like that. So he was I, in the Investigations X Factor, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's All right. So you gave him a few extra points. I didn't. I gave him 111. And then we round this team off with Vulcan slash Kid Vulcan slash the Great Vulcan slash Emperor Vulcan slash the Summers Brother, the third Summers Brother. Dude's stacked with abilities, man. He does like energy absorption and projection. He's super strong. He's got energy blast he's one of these characters that just has random energy blasts and you're just okay so to explain that if i am remembering my history correctly supposedly the whole retrocon giant size x-men team dies right except for darwin and vulcan i don't know how darwin gets off the island but vulcan ends up trapped on the island when the new uncanny x-men show up and they basically blast krakora up into space yep. vulcan is trapped on the island, right? He's encased within the island as it's floating around in space. Look how far they retconned this and had to make him so powerful. The day that Scarlet Witch said no more mutants, all these mutant energy shot into the air. Guess who happens to be floating right over that exact spot? Don't know why the mutant energy is funneled into like a beam, but it is. It hits Krakora and basically empowers Vulcan. This is why he's so insanely powerful. If I'm remembering my comic book history correctly, Vulcan, or even the whole retro X-Men thing, I've already talked about this. It's like a double, it's a double insult to me, right? Because Giant Size X-Men is my Bible of comic books. Mm -hmm. It is probably one of my favorite comics. I reread that thing fairly frequently. So to retcon 
like my Bible comic book is highly offensive. <laughs> to add to yep. that insult towards me, you already know where this is going, right? Yep, absolutely. That Vulcan is the third summer's brother. When Fabian, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but Fabian Dziska was setting up Adam X. Brubaker was like, that i'm gonna basically steal part of your idea it's layers upon layers of events of, <laughs> of insults towards me back then i would have given him a one 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 or a negative one 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 but they yeah. did a story with him called war of kings and kingmaker essentially where he goes and he's like you know what i'm gonna take over the shire empire and he goes and he marries deathbird who i have a crush on don't know why i like the homicidal chicks like deathbird yeah yes and mystique these are the chicks i'm drawn to i don't know why <laughs> takes over the shire empire uses the imperial guard to basically mop over everyone who opposes him a really good story uh, on another side note uh brubaker is also the person that brought back bucky as a winter soldier so just a little little <laughs> side note as well yeah. <laughs> now you understand why i don't like this guy <laughs> no, no. I understand why he's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. He brought back Bucky, but he killed Nomad. What does he not like about me and Fabian Nasizia? Anyway, so to get to talk about Vulcan's score, um, because of the War of Kings and the Kingmaker story, I actually gave him a six for his costume because it wasn't that bad. Kind of colorful. Kind of like the Acolytes meet the Shire, right? Yes. For his powers, I gave him a one because, as you said, he could do anything he wanted to, basically, and it kind of got annoying. And then for overall, I gave him a four. Uh, and again, that's only because of the Kingmaker and War of Kings storyline, which I really enjoyed as much as I didn't want to enjoy it. It just goes to prove that there can be a character you utterly hate if you give it to a set of good writers, they can do something good with it. We're done with the retcon giant size X-Men. We'll stop talking about him now. Let's go on to the new Uncanny X-Men, the traditional team that I love the most. Cue the uh, 90s X-Men intro. Yeah, music. yeah exactly. <laughs> so first up on the list is Nightcrawler. One of my favorite X-Men yeah. forever and a day. Easily. I, I gave him 10. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I gave him a 10 for uh, costume. I gave him a 10 for powers. Some of the dopest, most unique powers that uh, of any character. And then overall, I did give him a 9. So he he came close, but he didn't get the uh, full 30 points. And my favorite uh, costume of his being his classic red and, and blue costume. I, I right. like the red, red, black, and blue. I gave him a, his costume a 9 because it's, even though it's pretty much just three colors and it's a big red v right with the big shoulder blades yeah i still gave him a score of nine because it's freaking nightcrawler and he has three fingers three toes and the tail that's all the blue face and then like from his nose to his forehead is always like shaded black or it should be with the yellow eyes that whole thing is his costume to me it's not just what he wears it's his appearance right and his powers gave him a 10 because who doesn't want to teleport he's done some amazing stuff with his teleporting stuff and then also it's a, like a little known power where um he can hide in shadows basically like he disappears in shadows shadows yep. no one really does anything with it anymore and then overall i gave him a 10 so just like you he scored a 29 with me and he scored a 29 with you for a total of 58 out of 60. Yeah. i like that he was always a super happy guy he was deeply religious i mean he had so many layers and so much depth he was just a great all-around character i love that he was a deeply religious 
Catholic, and yet his his outward appearance is that of what you would think of as a devil, right? I love yeah. that that oxymoron of his appearance versus his personality. So now we're talking about the best X Men character next. <laughs> <laughs> so Wolverine is next, and uh, love him or hate him, I, I feel like most people love him now. He is the most iconic. I mean, he he definitely um, transcends the X Men, and he's transcends maybe even Marvel comic. It, like like everyone else, when I first started getting into comics, I thought Wolverine was the most legit character ever. He was a savage. He had his uh, his his berserker rage, and he was just an all around badass. And then we hit a saturation point with him in the 90s. With Wolverine, you have that cold, calculated animal side. Mm -hmm. But the dynamic with him and Nightcrawler back in the day, where they were essentially best friends, brilliant, right? Because you have this guy who looks like a demon. Then you have this guy who's a short, you wouldn't think, feral nutcase, right? And they managed to understand one another. Yeah, it's one of the coolest uh, bromances in uh, the X-Men history is the Wolverine Nightcrawler bromance. So Wolverine got tens all across the board. Um, yeah, scored a sixty. Sixty between us. I mean, yeah, sixty between us because I I gave him straight tens also. My my favorite Wolverine uh, costume is the classic brown and yellow. I, I I like it. I was gonna ask you that. Like, what was your favorite costume? See, that's where we differ. I actually like his yellow costume that has those like uh, black stripes on the side. Yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, Wolverine rocks really cool costumes, and even even when they put even, him in a tank top, jeans, and a cowboy hat it's like with a cigar and a beer it's like yeah that's a that's a cool look too like (laughs) it's really hard to make him uh look bad all right man next up on the list is the team grandpa banshee i like banshee's look i like banshee uh overall i think he's a very cool character very underused i think he kind of fell into this trap where you had these young x-men characters and then you had banshee who kind of was like the boring older uncle i I liked him i really liked him i liked him too but i i think they underused him quite a bit i gave him an eight for costume i gave him an eight for powers and i gave him a seven overall yeah for me costume was an eight powers was a nine and overall was a nine all right up next is uh aurora monroe man who's who is aurora monroe she is the beautiful luscious goddess known as storm Yes, yes. Storm. For me, I gave Storm a nine for the costume or the look overall. I think the the white hair, uh, the white eyes, it's a cool look to begin with, but they've always done a very good job of making her like either be very edgy and punk or be very like very glamorous and, and like diva-ish. I like the, the goddess nature aspect of her. My favorite costume is probably her, her punk costume. The mohawk with the uh, yeah. jacket. Yeah. Um, overall, I gave Storm a... I mean, her power set, I'm sorry, I gave a nine. Very cool power set. She's definitely one of my favorites. She got an overall of 26 for me. Uh, I scored Storm one point higher than you did. I gave her a total of 27. Uh, it was a nine for costume. Her powers, I gave her a nine. And then overall, I gave her a nine. So she scored nines all across the board for me. So next we have uh, Shiro Yoshida. Sunfire. He's, you know, he's he's kind of a hothead. Okay, yeah. so I gave Sunfire a five. I, I'm kind of, uh, I gave him a five for his, his look and his costume. I actually think his costume is pretty cool. Got the whole rising sun um, uh, look on his, you know, on his chest, and 
I, I can't wrap my head around the, the mask. I actually gave him an 8 on this costume. And I actually like his mask because it looks like it's on fire. Look. Yeah, I always thought it was. It looked like a lobster claws. Like like weird lobster claws. Now that you're saying that it looks like Sunfire, some sort of a sunblast, I guess it does, sort of. Yeah. Sun, Sunfire <laughs> wasn't around enough for me to like give him a high score. I gave him a 5 for his powers. And then a 1 overall. Not really one of my favorite characters. I gave him a 2 for overall. So we both ended up actually, though our scores were different, we both gave him scores of 11 for a total. Yep. I thought he had a pretty cool costume in Age of Apocalypse. Anyway, we'll move on. Here we go. Heavy hitter. One of my favorite X-Men characters, and I know I've probably said this a few times. This guy's like my all-time team, and that is Colossus. Eat breakfast, Negasonic. <laughs> Colossus is awesome. He got 10s all across the board for me. Um, I've always liked Colossus. I've always liked Colossus a lot. There was one scene in the Ultimates. So the Ultimates was like an alternate timeline, the ultimate universe that Marvel was doing for a while, where uh, Colossus goes up against Magneto. And this is one of the first times that the X-Men sort of deal with Magneto. One of the first few times. And of course, you think Colossus against Magneto is a terrible matchup and Magneto calls it immediately he's he's almost insulted that this giant metal man is approaching him and easily brings him down to his knees right. and Magneto's monologuing and as he's monologuing Colossus through sheer willpower he slowly gets up on one knee pulls up another knee like inches closer and closer to Magneto and Magneto is like really forcing him down and he says I, I don't know whether to to laugh or to be impressed but you know I'm the master of Ma and as Magneto saying that Colossus socks him in the stomach and just like <laughs> Bites through <laughs> Magneto's power. That is Colossus right there. That what a great scene that is. So you gave him 10, 10, and 10, right? Straight All 30. Across. I gave him uh, 8 for costume, 9 for powers. I actually love this idea of turning your skin into like this. I think they used to call it organic steel or whatever back in the day. Yeah, you used to call it organic steel, yeah. And then overall, I gave him a 10 because I love the character of Colossus. All right, and then the final, final <laughs> character on this list is unfortunately... Eight a short-lived character thunderbird do you want to talk about your score first <laughs> yeah well thunderbird for me got a for the costume he got a five that was a pretty cool costume not the best not the worst he was a native american character so they really played up the the look he scored fairly low for his powers um i gave him a one i mean he was essentially just a super strong super fast like a superhuman uh, mutant overall i gave our apache warrior a seven so for me, I gave him a 30. Really? So we, yeah, yeah. Dude, his costume. I loved his costume, dude. Loved his costume. So he scored a perfect 30 for me. Wow. <laughs> that's interesting. I like Native American characters, though. So that's kind of always yeah. something that I've enjoyed. He was one of the characters to perish. Was it in the same issue that he uh, that he died? No, I think he dies in issue 97. He um, jumps on the plane. He's trying to pull Nefaris out. And Banshee's trying to catch up to him, like jump off the plane. It's going down. And he's like, no, I'm going to make sure he goes down. And boom crashes into a mountain these characters were sort of an international squad yes right nightcrawler was german banshee was irish wolverine canadian storm african sunfire japanese colossus russian and then thunderbird was our um yeah he was Token. our native american yeah native american guy <laughs> and it's like dude he killed him yeah indians <laughs> can't catch a break 
Yeah, man. Can't catch a break. Now, his brother did come in and uh, kind of fill in as the token native mutant, right? And I really like his introduction in Uncanny X-Men 193, I believe it is, because he goes after Professor X. Yeah, he came to avenge the death of his brother. Yeah, his first mission was to take out Professor X. That's also the same story that introduces officially Firestar into the uh, Marvel Universe. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's that round of uh, X-Men. We'll have another round here for you guys shortly. We'll probably be doing another podcast, hopefully in December. And did you know that December will be our three-year anniversary, man? We've been doing this since December of 2013. That is crazy. That's nutty, huh? (laughs) To make this all comic book related, right? Back in the day, like issue 12s were a big deal in comics. Issue 25s were a big deal in comics. Yes. So this podcast we're doing now will be 24, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. So the next one we do will be our anniversary 25th issue. Oh, nice. Dude, isn't that weird how that worked out? You know, for you guys that have listened to all of our podcasts or that have been listening to us from the beginning, uh, we thank you very much uh, from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, We enjoy doing this and we hope that you guys enjoy listening to us as well. Cool, man. Tell tell these good people where they can find us, Thomas. All right. The most obvious place is to go to comicreliefpodcast.com. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast. We're also on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash comicreliefpodc. We're on Instagram as well at instagram.com forward slash comicreliefpodc. And we are on YouTube, though we don't really use it a lot. We're at youtube.com forward slash comicreliefpodc podcast all right thanks everybody and thank you thomas all right thank you michael see you till next time till next time Thank you for listening to the Comic Relief Podcast. We'll hope you join us next time as we continue to discuss all things comic book related and until then make mine marvel and you see and independent don't forget to check us out at comicreliefpodcast.com or you can visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast or go to our YouTube channel www.youtube.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast and finally there is our Twitter page which is twitter.com forward slash comicreliefpodcast P-O-D-C. I'd like to give a special shout out to Travis Richards, who did the music for the Comic Relief Podcast. Visit his website at www.travisarichards.com.
<laughs> All right, I'm ready. All right, how do I usually do these intros? It's a good start right there. <laughs> That's how you should start the intros. How do I do these intros? <laughs> Hello, Mike. Hello. Good day, Mike. Bye. Michael, the master of mag- magnetism. <laughs> Are you going to blow it? <laughs> and Thomas Logue, the saucer supreme. <laughs> <laughs> the saucer supreme? And Michael Moreno, the master of magnetism. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Logue, the sausage supreme. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> oh, Nailed it. Oh, I want to say even even though I'm staring at the word mysticism, I still want to say magnetism. And that's yeah, freaking amazing because you hear the dude and he's like, "Oh, bloody hell! It was just a really fun movie to do. You know, I'd like being Doctor Strange. You know, what's what? <laughs> How do you do it?" That's a good, that's a good accent. Uh, mostly Australian. <laughs> that's why. That's why I'm not an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's why. That's <laughs> why you can't do a good I British mean, accent. It's exactly it. I mean, I've obviously got the stunning looks. <laughs> everything. Everything. Full package, except for that. <laughs> except for the accent. Cool. I I love Storm. Love Storm. Storm. Yep. No, All right. I, I love Storm. <laughs> <laughs> I All right, carry on. Before it gets a little more awkward, <laughs> right? Um, uh, what's the main villain name? It's not calculus. It's the, something like that. Uh, <laughs> it's caseless. Caseless, yeah. Uh, calculus is my or mortal case- enemy. Caselius. All right, so we we got our three hours in as you requested. See exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see ya, man. All right, good night. Man. Good night. <laughs>